Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm thrilled you could be with us today. You know, once in a while, we share time with a guest who especially fascinates lots of listeners. The reasons aren't always the same. Sometimes the guest's story is especially touching, or the guest's personality is really engaging, and they're really fun, or the topic is gripping. But listeners who contact me will keep mentioning that guest and whatever the topic was, so I know we're going to have to invite him or her back to join us again. Therefore, our guest today is here for the second time, and I think it was both his lovely personality and the fact that his topic is so mind-blowing that made so many people want him back. As you know, I've spent a great deal of time over the past half century studying the afterlife evidence and piecing together an accurate and amazing picture of the death process and the greater reality that all of us will enter at death. Wow, talk about a treasure hunt. This has been the most fascinating treasure hunt because the evidence is abundant and it's amazing and it really does all fit together. So last year, after 50 years, I thought that nothing new was going to present itself to me. I really thought I had seen and done it all. And then a friend of mine who's actually a strict Christian, so not likely to be someone who'd be interested in this stuff, sent me a book and suggested I interview its author. Now, Nathan Castle is is a Dominican priest practicing. He actually gives us a big and important new piece of the gigantic and wonderful puzzle, which is death and the afterlife, new to me after 50 years. He calls it the interrupted death experience. So he kind of matches it up with the idea of near-death experiences, but it's completely unlike the the whole near-death experience. Those who are having an NDE are by definition not dead. However, those who have an interrupted death experience are actually flat-out, stone-cold dead. Generally, they've died suddenly, not in a planned exit point, and most commonly they've died in accident, in battle, by being murdered, or in some other way that's violent, and it's often confusing to the person experiencing it. When we die as part of our life plan, and most of us do die as part of our life plan, we have two or three exit points, our higher consciousness makes a decision, it's easy and it's fun. There's a process, we get a lot of help in crossing, but what happens if we don't get that help? Well, our guest today can help us answer that question. Welcome, Father Nathan, I'm delighted to have you back with us. Great to be back with you. Nathan Castle has been a Catholic Dominican priest for four decades, and he now serves the University of Arizona in Tucson. His book is called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. He's been helping people who have become stuck in one way or another to complete their transitions to the afterlife for, believe it or not, almost 20 years. And I didn't even know about you, Nathan. You were very quiet about it. (laughs) Please, Please tell us a little about your history. How did you get into this work? Well, I was quiet about it because I'm, uh, you know, a Catholic priest doing regular work. Most of the time that I've been ordained, which is going on 35 years, I've been in campus ministry. And uh, this this work of dealing with uh, souls that died suddenly started uh, in this mode about 20 years ago with uh, a a dream that came that all of these people come to me in a dream state at night while I'm asleep. Uh, but I call it receiving a dream rather than having a dream. I have dreams about my own psychobabble, but I, <laughs> right. I receive a dream that somebody else's content that's trying to get my attention because they want some assistance that I could provide. Wow. So, so it, it, but, but this has to have started at some point when, when, when it first happened, did you have a sense this was different from an ordinary dream? Absolutely. I uh, have oftentimes had to have a pager on my nightstand uh, to take my turn as a priest being on call for a hospital. If there's a, a, a medical emergency in the night, sometimes people will request a priest. And so I'm used to being awakened in the night. And when this 
this first one happened 20 years ago, that's what it felt like. I knew I was being contacted, just not on the phone. Wow. And did you know why? Did they tell you why? Tell, tell us about that experience. What was the what, what did the dream consist of, and how did you know it was different? Well, it began with me finishing a round of golf with another with a priest friend, going into the bar afterwards. And, <laughs> Priests uh, go to the bar too, do they? The <laughs> uh, 19th hole. That's what golfers call it. The 19th yes, hole. Right. And um, we, once we got in there, there was a silent auction for a charity going on. So all of it still is my dreamscape because I have been in charge of nonprofits most of my life, raising money to fund program. So that was that was just my dream. But then once I was in it, I looked across the way, and on the wall was a piece of framed art that I presume was part of this auction. But it was so horrid that I said to my companion, look at that god-awful thing. Who in the world would give that to a charity? And it was just so go ghastly, I had to go closer to get a better look. And when I did, it began to move toward me. It it was about the size of uh, a big screen TV mounted on a wall. Really? We didn't we didn't have those twenty years ago, but I'm looking at the one in my living room right now, and um, it moved toward me. And inside the frame, I looked at an image of a young man about twenty years old sitting on the radiator with his feet on the bumper of a car from the late 50s or early 60s. So he wasn't in a car wreck. He looked like he might have been more of a repairman or something. Why he was sitting on a radiator, I don't know. But the hood was open, and he burst into flames and was screaming, and I woke up. Wow. So, um, it was quite it, – it was so different from the first part of the dream. Yes. And it's unlike anything I had ever experienced before. There really wasn't any doubt in my mind that I had just uh, gotten a message. Well, how did you know what to do? Well, I, I sat up and thought, okay, well, hello, my name is Nathan, and I said a prayer, protect myself, and just said, hello, my name is Nathan. Uh, this is what I just saw, and I tried to write it down, and I said, I'm hoping you're still here or can hear the sound of my voice. I'm trying to get down in detail what I just saw that you showed me. And I promise in the morning I'll find a companion to pray with and we'll figure this out. So you knew that was a being trying to contact you. Had that ever kind of thing ever happened to you before? Uh, no, it hadn't. Well, you are a lot smarter than I am. I would have said, oh, my goodness, I don't ever want to see anything like that again and gone back to sleep. So good for you. <laughs> well, I've had, I've had experiences of the saints and angels, but never um, somebody that was – bursting into flame and screaming so oh, uh, uh so anyway i did get with a partner later uh, that morning we were on a retreat where i was in charge of a retreat offering it for about 20 people and on a break i found my friend and said could we spend a little time together in prayer uh, and i explained what had happened uh we went into prayer we sat and waited um i know people's experience of prayer can be all over the map but some of the time it involves opening oneself to the spirit and then being still, kind of waiting for an answer. And that might not be instantaneous. So we sat still for a few minutes, and she said, um, well, whoever it is, he really wants to talk to you. Would it be okay if I let him? And I believe that gift in the in the Christian churches can be called prophecy. Yes. Um, and so uh, we protected ourselves in prayer. Uh, with St. Michael the Archangel and Holy Mary and different of the St. Benedict and different of the saints and angels. And then uh, he came through her, and right away he said, who the hell is he? Who the hell, he, who, who the hell does he think he is taking me just when my life was getting good? Oh, so he's mad at God. He was mad at God, and I uh, calmed him down a little bit, introduced myself and my friend, and said, well, um, we will help you. And I, I said, at least you know there is a God. It, you understand that you have died and that you're still alive. And he said yes to both of those. And I said, well, tell us what it is that, that you want that you that that you want that we might be able to help you with. And he said, my wife, my wife, uh, uh, she's dying of cancer, and I want to greet her when she passes, but I can't the way I am. 
Yeah. Now, was she? Was 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 he talking through her voice, or how how were you Correct. hearing him? Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I, so I was hearing him through my friend's voice with okay. a with, with a southern accent. <laughs> and, um, Apparently. Wow. Uh, I'm from uh, Southeast Texas, so I can put one on me too. Uh, and <laughs> we. Talked with him for a little while. We he he died in 1960, and this would occur around the year 2000. So uh, I had to say to him, "Look, you know what have you been doing ever since? That's 40 years ago." Right. And he said, "I don't know, nothing much." So I said, "Well, okay, now listen to what you're asking of us. You you want us to help you get ready to, for your wife who's dying of cancer. She had married up," he said. She married. He was a grease monkey. They got they she got. <laughs> He got her pregnant their senior year of high school. They got married. They rented a little house, and he started a business with a friend uh, repairing cars in a detached garage uh, in this little rental home that they had in Georgia, rural Georgia. Wow. And I just said, well, sure, I'll help you, but but listen, you're, you've got 20 years and not much to show for it, and now you want to get in a big hurry to, to beat the clock to be able to be with your wife when she dies and cancer's got its own schedule. It's not going to wait on you. So I'll, I'll help you, but I'm probably going to have to push you faster than you want to be. So do you think you're up for it? And he kind of muttered and said, yes. So that's how it began. Well, the thing is now everyone's saying, ah, what was he doing for those 40 years? Well, nothing, because as we know, there is no time beyond this material reality. So he he was basically outside of time. He probably experienced no time passing. And suddenly he gets this basically emergency uh, signal from from this reality that he'd better be there to greet her. And, and he comes to Father Nathan. How amazing. Did he have guides with him who were talking to you? Uh, not they not that uh that spoke in that exchange he did have guides uh but he uh, he well i asked him i said how did you find me and he said i don't know somebody brought me here yeah okay good so uh, to, get, to get to cut to the chase here were you able to get him to the point where he could love and accept god and make his transition we were i had to help him um ask himself a few questions could you have possibly misunderstood God? Uh, could somebody have given you false information or incorrect information? That was most of a session. I think we were with him three or four times in a, over the course of about a month. Uh, and he uh, didn't like to change his mind because who does? You no, know, right. Uh, most of us would rather stick with what we have, uh, what brought us here. And I just said, and I asked him, how did he know about God at all? And he said, well, his mom taught him. She used to beat him while he knelt and said his prayers. Oh, there's a good way to get someone happy with God. Makes sense. I have to that, try that with my grandchildren. Well, <laughs> our show's over. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it was crazy, and he knew it was crazy, but that's that was part of his past. So um, anyway, he he uh, he did experience. Um, well, he wanted to go from like zero to 60. He hadn't been with anybody since he died because he wanted it that way. Yes. He was so angry uh, that he didn't go with any companions who might have brought him to a better place. He was just so angry at the time that he told everybody to get the hell out of here. And wow. then it, he had been isolated all this time. So we thought maybe a, maybe a sort of intermediate step. So I said, can you think of anybody that would that loved you that died before you did. I asked, you know, the mom that beat him while he said prayers probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, no, not a good but, plan. But I asked about his dad and he said, well, he died when I was 10 in the war. And I said, Vietnam. He said, no, Korea. I said, of course, you died in 1960. Vietnam hadn't happened yet. Right. Um, but um, he, I asked him, do you think you'd be okay if I asked your dad to come? Would you be afraid of him? He said, I don't think so. And I said, well, is it okay if we ask him? And he said yes, and so I just said a prayer without making a great big deal of it. Just, God, would you please send Ray's dad uh, if he's available and would like to see his son. And right away, Ray said, uh, oh, golly, look at there. And so uh, his dad and he went off together. Uh, we reconvened probably a week later. Uh, we said, how are you doing, Ray? What uh, You were going to go off with your dad. What would you guys do? And he said, well, we went and looked at cars. I, I had... I had asked him if he if he could remember a happy time with his dad, 
because he was he said he was didn't know him very well and is mostly afraid of him. And I think he was away at war for part of the time, part of oh, Ray's sure. childhood. Right. So um, so he said, well, one time we went and looked at cars. So that's apparently they, they he already had that in his imagination that they once had had a good time looking at cars. So that's what they did. And I said, how did you do it? He died in 1952. You died in 1960. It's now 2000. Did you have to time travel? He said, no, we went and looked at the new ones. So they looked at, they went to a car lot somewhere just as an excuse to be together. And uh, that got him a, a little bit, bit unstuck. And from there, we went on to trying to get him more uh, ready to greet his wife. But this, this was the first time this happened. And you, you yeah. were winging it to some extent then. Well, how did you know what to do to help him? Well, um, it seemed like a counseling appointment. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it was a it's pastoral counseling. It's just helping somebody get what they wanted. Somebody that felt frustrated. I'm I'm a, you know I've been a pastor most of my life, my adult life, and when people do finally make an appointment for counseling, it's usually because they're frustrated. They feel optionless, nothing's working, and so they call on a counselor. And then part of what I do is just listen and offer alternatives that they might not have thought of. Or sometimes try to talk them out of some certainty that they have that's uh, not serving them well. Right, right. Well, this book, Afterlife Interrupted, uh, I urge everybody to read. We've added it actually to our recommended um, reading list for the fun books because um, it's unique. It's really entertaining. And it's all, this is all accurate information. It fits with everything we already know, but it's, but it's new. And, but we do know that people who get, who are killed in war, for example, I mean, you're racing across the field, your body gets shot out from under you, you keep racing and you don't know you're dead. And we, we actually recently had, um, someone on who talked about, uh, the, the, the counseling that was done during the first and second world wars to, to help those people understand they were dead so they could cross over. This is, this is something which, apparently is a tremendous need. I mean, we all know Mikey Morgan. Mikey Morgan is our ultimate dead expert, and he says a third, uh, maybe, of all the people who die are temporarily stuck. Most of them are, are rescued, but, you know, 40 years out of out of eternity is not much time, but that still was the poor man was was out of luck there for a very long time. And and how does this happen? Well, you have a planned exit point or two or three that your higher consciousness can take, but if if you are suddenly, you know, murdered or um, there's some horrible accident or you're shot in a battle or something, um, that, that's not an exit point. It's like there's a great party going to be thrown for you, but you've come at a time when the lights are all out. Yeah. So that... What are you going to do? Well, we know the Monroe Institute does rescue work. And what Nathan does is unique and wonderful because you were chosen. Most people who do this rescue work are people who are astral travelers who who are trying to help. But Uh you were picked. Do you know why you were chosen? I mean, I made myself available to the Lord a long time ago in in childhood. Uh, And then in my early 20s, I entered a religious order where uh, you take your whole being and offer it to God. And we do that ritually. I remember laying on the floor of a chapel in Oakland, California, in the shape of bowing uh, uh, myself, body, mind, and spirit, uh, over to God's purpose. And particularly in the Dominicans, uh, we're the order of preachers. And yes. so the, the spoken word and the voice uh, is a, a very central part of that gift. So. I, I recommend to everyone that they give their life to God. Almost nobody will do it, though, because it's so scary. Because God might want you to go and work with lepers for the rest of your life on some you know remote island. Who knows? But to trust God enough to give your life to God, really, you, God gives it back to you covered in roses. And you've learned that just as I have. Yeah, I did it through the training of a Catholic Christian. Uh, but um, but if you for anyone who believes that they're a creature made by a creator who brought them into being and is good, um, um, on the one hand, of course, it's risky the same way you're a married person, aren't you? Wasn't that a yes. big risk? You know, <laughs> yeah, at the time, I didn't realize how big a risk it was. Well, and, and I do a lot of weddings. And right there, right before you say the vows, the, the minister's role is to remind you of all the bad things that could happen. 
what about sickness and what about poverty? You know, what about death? Uh, you know, um, you know, you're at the skunk at the picnic when you get to be the minister at a, at a wedding. Your 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 job is to bring up all these bad things and uh, we, say, do you are you we were sure? A long time ago. The thing is, I married a Catholic, and we yeah, both I know. that we were in it for life because uh, he could not be divorced, and so basically it became a double dog dare you thing with us. We, you know, it, I'm not going to call ask for a divorce. It's up to you, and I certainly wasn't going to ask for a divorce, so it was up to him. And it's been 47 years, so we worked it all out. And I recommend to everybody they do that. There's no better guy out there, no better woman out there for than the one you have now. But that's another another story. But many people will give up too easily on marriage, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. gets better. After the first 30 years, it really gets a whole lot better. <laughs> but when I say that to brides, I don't know why that doesn't cheer them up. I don't know why. Well, yeah. The last time you were with us, you told us a wonderful story from your book, Afterlife Interrupted. It was about Dwight. Remember? You, you know who Dwight is, right? I do. He was a young gay man who had died in a consensual S&M episode. I learned lots of new things in work I do. And yeah. he was... He was apparently totally closeted, and he was so consumed by shame that he died that way that he detoured himself after his death. Um, and, and then you made contact with him. Tell us that story. Well, he came in a dream, and in the dream, um, I could see the, the uh, shirtless torso of a young man, and then someone plunged metal objects into uh, both sides of his chest. Oh, my goodness. And he didn't um, struggle. And all he said was, what are you doing to me? And I woke up. Oh, wow. Oh. Um, so when we went, when we got with a prayer partner, uh, we learned that his he uh, was a young closeted gay man, very closeted, not known, uh, his orientation not known to anyone at all. Um, but he also had what he called an itch for causing or res- or uh, ha- having pain during sex. And he was interested in it, but he'd never done it. And he it was a very persistent uh, interest, and he followed through on it and was found a place where that happened and was told, go down this corridor and someone will join you. Oh. Um, so he was really a, like he probably, maybe twenty twenty one years old and poor and, uh, kid. Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking to listen to the story. But um, the the person who joined him asked to tie him up, and he kind of that wasn't really what he had in mind. But he was in a new experience and just said okay. And then moments later, he was murdered. Oh my word! Yeah, so awful. It, awful, and but he was he was ashamed, right? And so he was hiding. He was, and we asked him, "Well, well, like what happened for you? You know, you know that you survived your death. You're speaking about it. What right. happened after the man plunged these metal objects into? He said they weren't knives; they were something like curtain rods that had been sharpened to a point. Oh, Some, my goodness! Something homemade, not not a knife. Anyway, we said, "Well, what happened after that? It's all in the book." Um, I, I was bringing him through, and my prayer partner was asking him questions to clarify how we might help. And he said, well, the place started filling up with people, and we had to clarify, do you mean uh, people in the room where you had just been hurt? And he said, no, well, spirit people. And he said, Wh- uh, whoever did this to me ran away. You wouldn't want to stay very long where you had just done that to someone. No. So he, uh, so his uh, dying body was alone physically on this realm this dimension but then uh, he said spirit people started showing up and he was just so embarrassed about where he was and what was happening that he said he said i if people who knew who and what i was they would have run me out of town on a rail so i ran before they could chase me oh the poor kid yeah and you you know when this was how long ago it was I don't. I had the feeling that it wasn't all that distant in time, but the, I don't. I don't think we asked him what year it was. Okay, and so as, as I recall, the the thing that was made this most memorable. I think that would all be pretty memorable, but it was that when he opened to you and and he began to 
pay attention to the spirits, he had some of the most amazing visitors. Jesus came to visit this young man. Anyone who thinks that Jesus would disapprove of or run out of town on a rail, a young gay man, is absolutely wrong. Jesus came and very gently told him that he also had been murdered um, and he also had was had been murdered in a shameful way and he had been naked and his mother had seen him that way. All these gentle things said by Jesus, it just it brought me to tears. It, it did. Um, and... Didn't, didn't, didn't you feel that way, too? How extraordinary. I did. Of course, I was busy bringing him through. But um, he, he was surprised. He, he said, well, we were kind of trying to get him ready to cross because that's our main uh, goal anyway. Right. And uh, he, uh, he said, did you know that I was visited? And we said, well, no, tell us about that. And he said, well, I was in something that was like a hospital. And there were people that came in and out and did things to promote my uh, welfare. But he said, I was visited by Jesus, but not the judging one. Not the judging one. There is no judging one. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He said that, that Jesus came sort of like a chaplain. He didn't have machines to be pre- concerned with or a medical chart to look at. He yeah. just came as, came as a nice guy that visited, didn't stay too long, because you really shouldn't when a person is uh, healing. Right. And, he said he'd visit again, and the next time he stayed a little longer, and then eventually he did. He he asked him, uh, Do, did you ever see a crucifix? And he said, of course, I was a Catholic. He said, well, I was that guy on the crucifix. Oh, and my word. Did you know that I died naked, that there wasn't any little cloth covering me the way that it, you usually see it, um, that that's just for modesty, that that day there was no clothes at all, that I died naked, and that people stuck sharp metal things in me, too? Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah, I think so. Oh my! But then, and then he also was visited by a president. <laughs> yes, he was. Tell, it, tell that story. Well, it's so funny when it when it comes time to cross. He already knew Jesus, so might you just think, well, maybe Jesus would just take him by the hand and off they go. Uh-huh. Well, maybe, except that's not the way it worked. Instead. No. His his whole family line came for him, like starting with like one of his uh, ancestors that died before he was even born. Uh, and he said it's it's something like my great grandmother or great great grandmother. And she looks like a lioness and she's not going to let anybody mess with her kid. Uh, she said there are then behind her sort of like bowling pins. There's this infinite number of other family members and all of them are just solid enough. But they're translucent too, so that I can see that they all have stuff. Stuff? Stuff. Like they all had something embarrassing or some part oh. of their own. Oh my word, isn't that beautiful? So yeah. they were saying, You're okay? There's we all have our secrets. I'm quoting him. He said, They're letting me see stuff inside them they were ashamed of, but that doesn't matter anymore. They've all oh. got stuff and they want me to know that I belong with them. Isn't that beautiful? It is. And and uh, so Dwight Eisenhower, he was named after Dwight Eisenhower, not a relative, but a lot of people, I guess, thought Dwight was a cool name back then. Yeah, and they admired Dwight Eisenhower, and so they, his parents named their son after Dwight Eisenhower. So uh, when it was just about time to cross, I thought, okay, well, the family line is all there. We're ready to go. And he said, wait a minute, off to the side, there's this other guy. I think with, his name is Dwight. It's Dwight, and he's a general. Was he a general? Was he a president? And I said, well, it sounds like you're talking about Dwight Eisenhower. He, he was said, both. <laughs> yeah, and, and he said, well, I was named after him. Yeah, so he's helping He's helping all his namesakes. Isn't that what he said, or, or doing things for his namesakes now? That, we learned that, you know, my when it came time to write the book, I didn't feel like any of these stories should be shared without me getting permission of the of the people in them, and... So I went back in prayer to Dwight and said, would it be okay if we use your story? And when we did, uh, Dwight Eisenhower came through for a moment. Wow. And, and he spoke through and he said, um, you know, I was aware that people were naming sons after me. And I thought that was, a, you know, a fine thing. But I didn't know all these people. And then after I died, I learned that there are were Catholic saints that were telling me, well, that's the way it works. When when you when they 
name their kid after you, there's a relationship created. And if you want to pursue it, um, that would be some an option open to you now. And he thought, well, that's interesting to me. I think I want to do that. And so he, uh, when he said, I'd like to know any of the Dwights that got named because of me, uh, they said, well, there is this one who's um, uh, hasn't yet crossed. Maybe you would like to meet him. Isn't that... <laughs> Isn't that a fun story? I think I, so. I, I, it's stuck in my mind all this time. Now, do you, as, do you have anything? I know you're working on a new book. Is there anything that is in your mind right now? Any story maybe we could add today? I was. I was thinking of, uh, of a, a woman that just crossed maybe about three weeks ago. I'm not going to use her uh the name she gave me because I haven't gotten her permission to share the story, but I think I can share it in a way that doesn't give away too much. Uh, she's a, a sweet lady, probably died in the 1950s is what I think. She and her husband married young. They had their children young. They got through the raising of their children, their marriages, and into their grandparenting. And um, the, some of the kids moved out of town, and they were having this moment in their marriage where they were finally alone after years of being together. Yes. And uh, they were surprisingly enjoying it more than they would have thought, enjoying each other's company more than they would have thought. Yeah. Uh, and they were in these, this sweet little routine of getting up in the morning and talking about what they would do for lunch and grocery shopping and doing uh, the gardening and uh, going to church. She said our lives would have been boring to anybody but us. We were just having a nice time. Of course. And she said, um, what, but I hated to do the mending I just didn't like sewing, but sometimes I had a basket I would throw all the things in need of mending into, and then one day I would decide this would be mending day. So she was sitting in what she called her front room, listening to the radio, doing her mending, and she said, I had this habit of trying to make the task more fun by talking to the mending while I fix the torn sock. That's cute. We all have our own little peculiarities. <laughs> we all do. And, and you know, right, we don't necessarily have to talk about them, but we all have our little quirks. When nobody's looking, she was just minding her business, talking to her torn clothing while she repaired it. Uh, and you, Mr. Torn Sock, you're going to be good as new any minute now. You just wait and see. Well, <laughs> so she's sitting on her couch doing that, and her husband walks into the room, and he looks strange. She called his name, and he hit the floor. He just oh, no. collapsed in front of her, and uh, she ran to the neighbors to get help. And by the time they got back, she said he wasn't breathing. There was nothing to be done. Oh, my dear. So oh. uh, so it wasn't a story about her death, but it was kind of the day that she died inside. She, um, she didn't know what to do. The house filled up with her kids and the people from the mortuary and the police and she felt overwhelmed. She wanted to rewind the whole day and make it start over. Yes. Uh, and then she she found herself sort of outside of herself. She was in a different consciousness, and she was thinking, well, what should a woman do when her husband drops dead? She probably ought to go into his closet. She probably ought to let pick out the clothes his body will be laid out in. Right. Uh, and so she started living in this one step removed consciousness, uh, which I just think of as dissociation. Uh, and she never stopped. Oh, she described it. And she said it, it was harder, but I just couldn't bear to be in myself, in my emotions. And yes. She said, oh, she said yes. It was laborious. But she said we quit going. To, I quit going after church to the coffee and donuts because I I was always thinking, what should a woman like me talk about? Uh, what do I think they want me to say and how can oh. I say it? And she just found it also laborious that she made excuses about the dog and the cat uh, and went home. Yeah. And, uh, she did that as she aged and as she got more physically infirm. When her children decided to put her in a nursing home, she was glad that they did because she didn't want to live with any one of them where she'd have to interact with them. Yes. And then in the nursing home, she made it clear that she didn't like uh, visitors and she preferred a roommate in a two-door room nursing home uh, who was uh, either in a coma or asleep most of the time 
uh, and someone who didn't have visitors. So she oh. kept getting a succession of the most sick people, sick women that were admitted. And oftentimes they would die soon upon, uh, you know, coming there. And uh, eventually she did as well. But she didn't go to a place then where after death, she just stayed dissociated. She, so, w when people came for her to welcome her and offer her alternatives about uh, what she might do in the afterlife, she just defaulted to what she had gotten so used to. Oh, nothing, in other words. As, yeah. as close to nothing as she could uh, uh, arrange things. And uh, she said her guardian stayed with her but stayed on the edge of things and, you know, one knew, understood that she wanted to be left alone. Uh, she said that, uh, that different afterlife people began to visit uh, and they were persistent the way that you might knock on the door of someone who you knew was ill. Right. Uh, but you, you don't want to leave them unsupported, but you also want to respect their need for rest. And right. eventually different people would come and visit from her early childhood, she, people she had gone to uh, elementary school with. They would, uh, they would talk to her about plans that they were going to do as soon as they left her, you know, as soon as we leave here, we're going shopping or yes. we're, going, we're going to do something fun. We so wish you'd join us. And so they kept kind of coaxing her a little at a time until she was to the point where she was ready to uh, meet with me and a prayer partner. So you were able to cross her over fairly quickly then, I would think. Because I, I'm, I'm out, my, my little uh, clientele is always vetted. I, they only are brought to me when uh, the, those who are caring for them are sure or mostly sure that they're ready to cross. Right. Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful. I don't have to twist anybody's arm. <laughs> what a great story. And that can happen to people. They can isolate themselves that way. And, and if, especially because of grief. Grief is something that some people just cannot bear. So they basically go out of their, their minds to some extent and they find peace there. But So she's now back, I'm sure, with her husband and all is well. Well, is, he... He's the one that eventually came for her, and the way that he chose to do that was as a nervous 16-year-old on his first date with her. Oh, cute! Are it you serious? That's adorable! Yeah, he came in a way that we, even he wasn't confident because he knew she wasn't confident. So oh. he came as a kind of nervous version of himself, and he was 16, and he had picked roses out of his mother's yard and had a little bouquet for her. Oh, that is such a beautiful story for all the people who think that maybe it's not romantic in the afterlife. Well, it is romantic as all get out. Look at that. Well, they still had to kind of start over, but they were starting over from a familiar place. She, yeah. said, she said, I haven't been able to bear the thought of him, so I've just blocked him out. But here he is, and he's so adorable. How can I refuse Yes. <laughs> and, then, and now she's young, too. Oh, what a beautiful story. Yeah. What has surprised you most in doing this work? Wow, that's a good question. You're good at what you do, Roberta. I try to be. <laughs> well, no, I just asked you what I'd like to know. I'm, I'm very interested to know, you know, how this – because you're in a very unusual situation. It isn't just that you're a priest doing this, but I don't know of anybody else who's been chosen this way. Um, it well, must be surprising to you. Well, it's delightful. Um, you would the, – the stories that people have to tell – are very often there are deaths that no one would want to endure right. you know a lot a lot of times they're violent and uh, and awful and they all have happy endings and i get to be a part of that happy ending um sometimes it's, it's, pieces of my life intersect my previous my first book was about the wizard of oz uh, it's called Antoto II, The Wizard of Oz is a Spiritual Adventure. So for years I was I was praying with the, the cast and crew of The Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland and Frank Baum, who wrote the book, oh, and wow. uh, Bert Lahr, who was the Cowardly Lion. Oh, and yes. Those people entered into my prayer life because I invited them, and they were kind enough to become a part of my posse. Uh, <laughs> and so now they're, some of them show up sometimes to help somebody. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. I, Margaret Hamilton was just here not long ago. She played the Wicked Witch. Yes. And she was helping a young woman who um, was in, in the entertainment field during those years in the 30s and, and it maybe early 40s. 
and uh, this woman was maltreated and uh, by men and took her life and um, and Margaret Hamilton showed up to help her out. That is just beautiful. Yeah, there's just, just beautiful. There's uh, I, I'm so grateful for the life I've been given. I just get to know so many nice people, many of whom are alive here and many who are alive hereafter. So you have have had people help you. You have prayer partners and you've had people who've helped you to do this work. I do. And and my most uh, important prayer partner recently died. Um, I, I don't know. Did you have you heard the book uh, on audiobook? No, why? If well, if you wanted to, you could hear the voice of my friend Laura. Laura's mentioned throughout uh, yes. the the book, but she in the last month before she died, we recorded the audiobook, and so all the sections that uh, that she was uh, original to are in her own voice. And oh. so now I listen to that in the morning when I go for a walk. I have I put one in my earbuds and yeah. I listen to my own book because I can hear my friend's voice. Oh wow! Oh, I, the reason Laura's name stuck in my mind is that my I have a daughter named Laura, so ah, okay. um, I, naturally that that's something I would be be uh, partial to. But uh-huh. um, why why did she die? Did she have a disease? She did. Before I only knew her um, uh, for about three years. Near the uh, in the latter part of her life, as it turned out, she had already survived colon cancer. Yes, uh, that nearly took her. In fact, the the uh, cure nearly killed her and she was allergic to the chemotherapy that they were giving her and they didn't realize that she was allergic to it and it nearly killed her but um anyway it recurred and uh, that was uh eventually her ticket home but um but it when it did recur it um it only took a month so w- when she recorded the book we didn't even know that she had had a recurrence and then she was uh she died about five weeks later i think oh my i'm so sorry well, I'm I'm happy for her, but you know how it is. Yeah, it's still I know. even even when you have all these experiences, it doesn't mean you don't miss loved ones when they die. Because yes, do. yes, but it's it's certainly different for you and me and for other people who understand that life uh, is eternal. Because uh, I mean, I'm very happy for I was I didn't even cry when my mother died. She was 94 and she had no yeah. activities of daily living. You can't, you know, you have to be joyous for people. I, I did my mom's age. funeral because I'm a priest, and and I could, I uh, I had one little misty moment at the beginning of the funeral mass, and then I never really cried for her either. I was just happy for her. We're her quality happy. of life in the, in the last right. few weeks was nothing I would wish for her. How do you find your partners who help you in this work? Do they just they come keep, to you? They keep emerging, and um, uh, I look for people who have availability. Um, so people whose lives aren't so crowded that it's hard for them to set the time. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to be 64 on my next birthday. And so uh, my my same age peers are often people whose lives are a little less than they might have been a decade or two. Ago. Of course. Yes. Uh, uh, although uh, that's not always true. I was just in front of a mostly older congregation and I mentioned that and they they all barked at me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. I don't have free time. It's, it's, I think sometimes people think it's a mark of honor to, to be able to tell yes. everybody you're really, really busy. Right, right, right. Can't possibly do anything, well, right. Uh, but wait, anyway, wait. I, I didn't really answer your question very well. I, no, I, no, you, you did. But be, I mean, basically everything, I think, has surprised you in the beginning, right? But you're open to God, and you know what is happening is of God. You already protect yourself with prayer. So you trust the process. I do. And early on, like Ray was from Georgia, and for yes. maybe the first five or six years, it seemed like I had territory, like I was a salesman. They were. It seemed like lots of people from the southeast, even though I've not really ever lived there, like Georgia, Florida, Carolinas. Um, and then uh, of late, I've had some that are people that died in Afghanistan and Iraq in the yes. Middle East. And they're interesting because um, – you know, if, if they practiced a religion, it was likely Islam. And now they're talking with a Catholic priest and they know they're in a desert because I live in Arizona. And we have to get past a little bit of that, that they didn't know they'd be. T- well, they they'd never talked to an American before. Um, Interesting. Uh, so um, that's that has been a new wrinkle that the language has never been an issue. Uh, 
I guess you probably have discovered that in other work that you've yes, done. That there seems that we can still have a love for our Earth language, but we're not uh, confined to using it the way that we had been before. No, uh, which is um, so. Anyway, there's been a little bit of that, and then uh, when it came time to write the book, I did feel like it was important to get people's permission to use their stories. Yes. And I thought I was asking a yes or no question. May I use your story? And instead, in addition to yes, we only got one maybe, and I did get, did get one note or a not yet. Um, but they they gave me updates, which just seemed like the most natural thing in the world because yes. the last time you left and they were crossing. And so you know when when you and I you and I haven't spoken in some time. We can say, well, what's new with you, Roberta? What have you been doing since the last time? So it was just like that. Um, oh, yes. And now I'm finding that I record all these on an app on my phone that um, that is timing the whole thing. And I'm finding that I'm spending a longer time chatting with people than I used to just because it feels nice. Of course. Uh, I used to feel like I needed to hurry and get this over with or uh, get them crossed quickly but now i just let it sort of flow and it uh and and then that means uh and then one of the other things is funny i used to feel like it was always my job to help them imagine who might come for them and now some of them are being brought in groups and it's as though they can um, stand off to one side and watch me with the previous person in line okay that's that's very efficient. You're you're sort of batching them through. That's it really- is, <laughs> it is, and then they can, they can. Uh, I guess it takes a little less uh, of the fear out of it, of the unknown, because they just watch somebody else do it, and that didn't look very difficult. No, and then very often now too, they've all already sort of been um, uh, prepped for their time with me, and they know that one of the things they need to be able to say is, "Who would you like to have come for you?" And sometimes they already sort of show up with that person. Yes, that would make perfect sense. And then of when course. it comes time, it's they're not having to start a fresh idea uh, and ask themselves a new question. They've already kind of done it, and the person is sort of in the wings. Nathan, when is your next book going to come out? Do you know? Quick as I can get it written. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Do you um, think like the summer or the fall? Yeah, I'm. We're yeah. I I would like for next fall. Right now, I'm just finishing an online course. I'd never designed. Have you ever done an online course? Do you? I don't know your whole uh, array of no, things. No, but we're about to in a major way. All so right. I'll have well, to be in contact with you to see how it's going for you. Our our mutual friends can help with that. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I uh, I designed a course that is a companion to the book to Afterlife Interrupted. Uh-huh. And I'm hope it's all the way. It's it's mostly video with a companion journal, but it's mostly video, and it's almost it's all filmed, and almost all of it is in post production. I'm hoping December first is when we go, you know, when it's available to the public. Well, that'll be great. Maybe we should have you back to talk about that because that's yeah. that's the wave of the future, big time. We'll, we'll, we'll match up our schedules all and right. see what we can do. I'm so sorry we have come to the end of our time. I wish we uh, – well, 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 we'll be talking together again soon. Um, I'd love that. I, I think that what you do is so beautiful, and it's something everybody should know about. And my hope is that one of the things you'll be able to do is help others – to begin to do this as well. I mean, it seems like a natural fit when you when you have prayer partners, some of them to begin to do it as well. But that's something we're going to talk about next time. We're going okay. to get together and talk about your online course and talk about some of these other things. But meanwhile, consider yourself hugged, dear. This okay, thank you. Great. <laughs> Everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you could be with us today. Don't you love him? Oh. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest is going to be your host. It's been a couple of years since I last spoke with you about the death process. And as our listenership and our readership continues to grow, I'm hearing from more and more people who are just now finding my work and they're asking me very basic questions. Many of them are facing either their own death or the death of someone they love or they have just been through it. And they're really desperate to learn the truth. And I continue to learn, just as with Nathan, I continue to learn bits of details that I want to be able to share with you. 
you, even if you already know all this stuff. We've been together for a while. So next week, we're going to be once again sharing the glorious truth about death and our universal eternal life. Death turns out to be the ultimate homecoming. It's a peaceful death after a life that was well-lived makes you the happiest you can possibly be. So let's banish all the lies and fears together. Next week, we're going to feature the wonderful truth. And this week, here for the second time, and by popular demand, we've been talking with Father Nathan Castle. Once in a while, we do have a guest that everybody loves, and Nathan is one of those. He was first with us last spring with his terrific book, Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Crossover. And again, I recommend you read it because it's easy, fun, quick, and it's it, some books read like candy. His is one of those books. So I hope that you will think about reading it. But... Uh, whether you read it or not, be aware that there are people. Now, he's been a Catholic Dominican priest for four decades. He's he's being allowed. This is something I never asked him, but I probably should have. How come they're letting you do this? This is not quite Catholic. But yes, in a way it is, because Catholics have been servants of people almost from the very beginning of the church. And he, this is a way that to serve people that is unique, special, and wonderful. He helps people who have gone off track at death. He helps them to reconcile with God, reconcile with the process, and go home. What could be more wonderful than that? It's called the Interrupted Death Experience. And I'm eager to learn even more about it. We'll be having him back probably within the next, well, whatever we can get him in within the next month or two. But then again, in the fall, we'll talk about his next book. But between now and then, I hope you'll read Nathan's wonderful, wonderful book. As you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and very soon, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For young children, we have the fun of meeting Jesus, and soon we'll have the fun of growing with Jesus. You can order all my books through bookstores, Amazon.com, and the adult books are also available in audiobooks. If you want to talk with me about anything, about any of my books, or if you have a question, you can always contact me through the contact block that's on robertagrimes.com. I do answer every email. Just be sure I have your correct email address. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available primarily on webtalkradio.net, but also all over the place, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeart, and a number of other stations, including those in the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. Or you could just get the the Seek Reality app in the iTunes store for free, and you'll get the episodes right away. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you in particular, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.